Yes. Uh, and we're going to be talking about thankfulness today uh, because this week is Thanksgiving. So what better time to talk about why we should be thankful, why we are thankful people, and why we can focus on that and, uh, and celebrate thankfulness with intentionality this year. I am thankful. I'm Caleb, by the way. If we haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor here. And I am thankful. I just got back from Israel. So I got to take this cool trip to Israel for nine days and got back a little jet lagged, uh, but, uh, but, but feeling okay. I am grateful to be home. I am grateful that uh, my wife today is our seven-year anniversary. And... And if you, if you see her on the patio after the service, uh, you'll notice she's wearing a gold necklace, and I bought it for her in Israel. It is um, a widow's mite coin, an actual Roman coin from the first century uh, that would be like the one that Jesus described, the widow dropping in her offering, which was all that she had. And, God, and Jesus said, like, this is generosity these two simple little coins that she dropped in because that's all she's got. And so I brought one of those, an actual widow's mite coin back. It's uh, on Hillary's neck. I am grateful for my boys. I missed them while I was gone. I'm grateful for the privilege of being able to go on that trip. I want you to know that two years from now, I'm going to be leading a trip back to Israel and uh, start saving now because it's about four grand per person. Uh, to get there, but it will be a life-shaping, impacting time. It will be a great, great trip. So have that in the back of your mind if you want to join me on that. Uh, but I'm also grateful to be, back, to be back here because I miss this when I'm, when I'm gone. There's something special, not just you wonderful people because you are wonderful people and I like being with you. There's also something special about being together. Did you know that? Uh, it's not, I saw like the sacred temples and the sacred places and mounts, which are really like hills, and, and, and these spaces where Jesus walked on these actual stones that we know historically. I mean, there's all kinds of great things to see here, but, but beyond that, I mean, I like being here. And we know that now it's not about some sacred special place, that God's spirit is everywhere. And when we gather like this, something special happens. It's different than just going and watching a baseball game or TV. Like, like there's another element here of, of intersecting somehow with the invisible. And that God and his spirit somehow mysteriously like is present. And so we feel that and I enjoy that and I enjoy being here with you. So I'm happy to, to be back Home. Today is a significant day for a couple of reasons. One, we are going to be uh, making step-in commitments. Uh, if you're newer or don't know what that is, we've been on this journey toward getting a new home. The Regency Movie Theater will be our new home. I'll say something else about that at the end of the service, uh, but we're going to do that. We're going to kind of celebrate and pray over our commitments. And secondarily, this is the last sane moment. Do you know that? before the holiday chaos sets in. Like, this is it, because Thursday is Thanksgiving. And then the next morning, some of you psychopaths are going to be up at 4 a.m. <laughs> shopping. I mean, I respect you. I don't understand you, but I respect you. And from that moment on, it's just crazy because it's, it's Christmas, it's holiday parties. You're going to be talking to your, your spouse or your significant other. You're going to be saying, hey, you have to come to my work party. 
it's this night. And they're going to be like, I don't want to go to your work party. Uh, there's no drinking there. And my work party, uh, there's going to be, and do you have to come to my work party? And they're like, okay, fine, I'll come to your work party. But you have to come to my work party. No, but your boss, they, I don't want to be around, right? You know? And then, okay, okay, fine, I'll come to your work party. But I'm definitely not uh, going to your cousin's Christmas party because they dress their animals up like elves, and that's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> So I'll go to your work party, but I'm not going to that party. And so there's just extra stuff, and there's obligated family interactions and things like that, and you're like, I don't want to do that. And, and, and it's craziness. In this season, you will undersleep, you will overeat, and you will overspend. Even like those of us who like set New Year's resolutions in January just for Christmas, right? And I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to go in debt over this. It's just hard because everything about our culture is so consumeristic and it's at a height, it's at its apex at this time of year. So today is like the last sane moment. I know that some radio stations have already started playing Christmas music 24-7. I'm conflicted about that. I secretly kind of like it, but I'm also like anticipating December 15th where I'm going to be over it already, uh, and, and that's happening. But, but today, just, just put that, all that aside because I want us to have a different perspective as we enter into this crazy holiday season when consumerism is on display as Americans unlike any other time of year. So I want to talk about the thing that everyone chases, but few ever find. The thing that everyone chases, but few ever find. What do, what do you think that that is? Contentment, yeah. I heard peace, yes. For our purposes today, I'm using the word enough. Everyone is looking for enough, and few ever find it. When they hit that next place of promotion or payout or whatever, that house, that car, that... They like it for a little while, but it's never enough. I mean, you know the stories. We just never seem to be able to get satisfied. And I'm going to use a story from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Did you know, those of you that maybe didn't grow up going to church, that there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Never let anyone tell you that God doesn't care about numbers. God cares about numbers. There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to numbers. He is a detailed God. He knows every name, and he wanted them in this book recorded. They did a census at the beginning of the book of Numbers. They did a census to figure out everyone, all the Israelites, and their families, and how many, and everything like that. It's, it's a detail-oriented book. This book is set in post-Exodus. So God has liberated his people. He's brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He's done the crazy miracle of parting the Red Sea. And then here they go into their newfound freedom. Uh, I, because I was just in Israel, I wanted to tell you that like the whole country of Israel is 8,000 square miles. That's the equivalent of Orange County and Riverside County. The whole nation, Orange County, Riverside County. And if you could just imagine, the, the 91 freeway is like the Jordan River cutting through the middle of the nation of Israel. So have that in your head. It's a small space that most of the Bible, not all the Bible, there's some things that happen around like Egypt and stuff, but most of the Bible takes place in that small space. And so this part of Numbers is, is no exception. Uh, they had been, they had God had brought them out of Egypt. They had gone to this mountain 
called Mount Sinai. It's really not a mountain. It's like a hill. Uh, but, you know, everything in the Holy Land gets upgraded to mountain status. And, <clears throat> and not only that, but he's given them the tabernacle. He's, he's given them... He's given them these, these miracles. He puts a cloud out in front of them to lead them off of Mount Sinai. And here we go, on our way to the promised land, being led by this cloud. You know, I, I don't imagine what it looked like. It probably looked a lot like a cloud. You know, there's like, there's a fluffy cloud thing that is leading us, and that's God's presence. And so we'll follow him. And not only that, but they're in the middle of the desert, so he gives them miracle food called manna. They just wake up, and it's, and it's there on the ground. It's just like, wow, I, I went to sleep, and there was no food. I wake up, and there's food. I didn't prepare it. I didn't fix it. It's just there. So this miracle manna is feeding them and sustaining them for their meals. So he's, he's setting them up. And then I'm going to skip the first couple of verses, but I'm going to go to verse 4, which says, the rabble, the rabble. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. The rabble, which is another word for mob, with them, began to crave other food. So we've got the manna, but now they start craving other food. Again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But we now have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Okay, picture the scene. They've just been brought out of slavery in Egypt, where they've been for hundreds of years, under the Egyptian thumb, as slaves, whipped, beaten into production. And they say, we want more than just this manna, the miracle food that just appears, that God just gives them. We can't take this anymore. Now, it's ridiculous when you think about it. Like, like from our perspective, looking back, you see the miracles, and, and you see that just after three days of leaving Mount Sinai, they're already complaining to God about the cuisine. Ridiculous. But before you judge understand that it's a common thing in the human condition, and you and I do the same stuff. You and I are that kind of complaining people. Uh, they say, at no cost. We used to eat fish at no cost. Oh, really? You were a slave, beaten when you asked for seconds at no cost? Sure, you got some cucumbers once in a while, but you had to work your skin off for them. Like, they romanticize the past, and they complain about the present, it's a human thing. We're not better. But it's, when you look at it, you're just like, oh my word, how could you have been so dumb? I want to make three observations about this pattern of human discontentment. The first is that complaints become contagious. From verses 1 and 4, it says, Now the people complained about their hardships. The rabble, which is the mob, began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, so there's a mob that starts complaining and then more Israelites. And now, and now it's like everyone just says, yeah, what, what they said. I'm tired of this manna. It's been three days of nothing but manna. And I want to have more of this and this and this. Complaining is contagious. 
when you're around other people that aren't happy, you start to think, well, they, they kind of have a point. You know, this does taste a little dry. You know, and I, I don't know why. God, certainly you could give us some variety. If you can do this miracle, like do another miracle and, and give me some beef. Like show up a little bit more creative, God. So think about the complainers in your life. I know you probably already have been. Uh, if you can't think of... If you can't think of the complainer in your life, it might be you. <clears throat> now, I don't want to downplay the necessity of, of validating someone else's pain. And if someone else is going through a difficult season, we want them to be able to share and get that out and carry their burdens with them. But it's different it's different than someone who's just constantly verbally puking on your shoes. Like when you can just know, you can count on, when I see this person, it's just going to be negative, 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 right? And I know that probably half of us are out loud processors, and sometimes we use that as an excuse to verbally spew garbage. But remember the proverb that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're a verbal processor, be careful that you're not just processing your complaining heart all the time. It exposes you. And check, keep check of who it is that you're listening to, who you're surrounding yourself with, because complaining has a way of rubbing off. And even if it's the voice in your head that you're listening to, be careful if that's always a complaining notion. You need this message today. The second thing, so the first thing was complaints become contagious. The second thing is that miracles can become an annoyance. Verses 5 and 6 says, We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost, and the cucumbers and melons and leeks and garlic, and now we have lost our appetite. All we ever see is this manna. People. It's miracle food. You walk out of your tent, and there's food there. You're in the middle of the desert. You just pick it up, put it in a pouch, take it back, and feed your family so they don't die. And you're thinking, oh, leeks and garlic. Oh, slavery was so much better than this. I can't take it anymore, God. If you could just, could you just drop a buffet? Why, why just this manna? The, the miracle becomes an annoyance after just a few days. Isn't that sad? That would never happen to you. You probably live in a house, right? Did you build that house? No. Maybe, I mean, Hillary's dad built his own house. Maybe one of you did, but most of us <laughs> did not build our houses. And most of us know what it is to be in love, and many of us have, are married. And have you ever complained about your spouse? Someone who you met the first time and you thought, this is a miracle of God. This person is willing to spend the rest of their life with me. This is a miracle. Or children, if any of you have children, Hillary and I, three years, three years of infertility until people raised money and paid for us to be able to do in vitro. And we got Jack and then Henry, miracle babies. And I am 
have been an idiot. They complained about not sleeping enough because they're crying. Miracle baby is crying. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. God provides, and he blesses you with miracles all the time. I don't want us to miss them. Don't let miracles become an annoyance. And then the third observation is that a, a grumble becomes a grave. Verse 34 says, they ended up calling the place Hebrew name, which means <laughs> graves of craving. It literally means graves of craving. There they buried the people who craved meat. Did you know that complaining leads to death? That the more that you complain, the more negative you get, the more negative you get, the more you just focus on the negative stuff. And have you ever noticed that what you focus on is what you see? So if you decide that you really need a new car and you've been shopping for it, you've been looking for it on, on Craigslist and on all the, you know, you got the car facts on it, you've been studying everything, and then you're on the road and what car do you see? That car, you see that car because it's what you've been focused on. You're like, hey, everybody drives that car. I really should drive that car. There's so many of them out here. Because what you train your mind to look for is what you'll find. And if you are looking for the negative because you're complaining all the time, that is what you'll see. And it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I focus on the negative, there's more negative. And then there's even more negative because that's what I'm focused on. And ultimately, it leads toward death. It leads toward death of your attitude, that's for sure. Sometimes death of relationships, death of your peace, contentment, satisfaction in this life, all those very real deaths. And sometimes it leads to actual, literal, physical death, like it did for these people. Graves of craving. So I want to give you just one simple way of thinking about this, one simple line that I hope will help you Put this in perspective. As we observe this story, we see that losing awe leads to blah. <laughs> when you lose the awe, it leads to blah. And even further than that, it can lead to the grave of craving. Look at what this verse says in the message paraphrase. He gave them exactly what they asked for, but along with it, they got an empty heart. Did you know? that you can get everything you ever dreamed of and be miserable. How many of you have heard of the video game Minecraft? <laughs> the founder of Minecraft sold it recently for $2.5 billion to Microsoft. His last name is Person. This article that I read said that he was having a blast, living the big life. He bought a $70 million mansion, complete with mass, a massive wall of candy, <laughs> like you do when you sell Minecraft. And he's been hosting wild parties ever since, but he's really bored and deeply lonely, and he revealed it in a series of tweets. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you this guy's own account of his life and experience after getting everything he could have ever wanted. Tweet number one. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. So we can't even relate to people now, because he has so much, he feels like people are just trying to get from him and, and whatever other, other reasons. Next tweet. Hanging out with a bunch of friends at a, and partying with famous people. 
able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went to making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. Last one, found a girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a more normal person instead. (laughs) He had everything he ever wanted and hated his life, miserably unhappy. You can have everything that you want and hate it. You can also have very little and enjoy your life, depending on what you're focused on. If you lose the awe, of God's miracles in your life, you'll get the blahs. You'll become a complaining negative person. So here's how I want to help cultivate awe in our lives so that we can avoid the grave of craving. Thankfulness. Here's how we're going to define thankfulness. Celebrate what I have. Celebrate what you have. What you have already what God has already given to you, that he's the giver of good gifts and that what you have is a gift from him. Celebrate that. Don't lose the awe of the miracles he's already placed in your life. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you know it is possible to celebrate and be thankful for what you have all the time? Despite the circumstances, despite the situations, despite the ups and downs, you can choose to celebrate and be grateful and thankful all the time. In fact, it's God's will for you, he says. It's what he wants for you because he knows that that's how you can live life to the full. It's not that your stock market is full. It's not that your bank account is full. It's not that your your portfolio is full necessarily. It's not all these things. It's that your life would be full. Be thankful for what he has given you. We live in a culture that markets to your discontentment. This culture, this marketing culture is strategically trying to make you hate the stuff that you have. Did you know that? It's true. Every ad, every commercial, everything that you see, marketing geniuses are trying to make you unhappy so you'll buy more crap. There's this term called forced obsolescence. It might not be a term that you use, but it's a term that's forcing itself on you. That you look at your phone and you're like, I don't want this phone anymore because there's a newer, better phone. This phone, when I touch it, it doesn't give me a little glimpse into my email. This phone is not rose gold. This phone, right? And so it it forces on you this, this sense of forced obsolescence. The what I have is not good anymore. My TV isn't curved. I can't watch anything on this piece anymore, you know? (laughs) I'm not even getting the full experience. There's a new model of my car. I can't tolerate this anymore. It's what our culture does. You and I are victims of it. It's happening all the time. They are trying to make us dissatisfied with what we have. And they make you unhappy and they try to get you to buy more stuff thinking you'll be happy, but it's this unending cycle. It does not work. Choose to be thankful. 
Celebrate what you already have. And then number two, here's what contentment is. Choose not to need more. You can choose not to need more. It doesn't mean you never get more. It doesn't mean you don't budget and buy stuff down the road. It just means that you're choosing to not need more. That you don't believe that something out there will satisfy you and make you happier. Because it won't. Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I want, uh, I want to invite you to do an exercise this week, practicing thankfulness and contentment. Uh, maybe you'll find that they're more accessible than you even thought. When you, when you walk out of this room this morning and you go out in the parking lot and you click to find your car and you go up to your car, or maybe your car doesn't even have a clicker. You're like, my car is so old, I have to manually put my key in the thing and turn it for it to open. See, if you had that car, you would not be content, right? No, no, no. If you go out to your car, and even if you have to manually turn the key to open the door, will you say, thank you, God, for this car? I don't need more. I am grateful this thing gets me from point A to point B. This is a blessing from you. I am grateful for this car. And as you drive in this car to your house, you might pass a hundred homes that are much nicer than yours. But when you pull up into your driveway, would you pause? And would you just say, God, thank you for this home. I don't need more. This provides shelter for me. This is where I live. This is where I'm safe. This is where my family, I have these memories. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you can be thankful for. Thank you, God, for this home. When you go into your home and you go into the bathroom and you look in the mirror, would you say, God, thank you for how you've made me. There's no one else in the world like me. I am unique, one of a kind. I am grateful for who you designed me to be, and I want to be more and more the person that you designed me to be. I don't need more. And when you look at your spouse, if you're married, Will you choose to say, God, thank you for this person that you have blessed me with. I don't need more. I am not going to forget the awe of the miracle that you have provided this person, these people, this family, these opportunities, these blessings in my life. I will keep the awe by being thankful, choosing to be content with what I have. We want to give you just a moment to reflect. You'll find this card in your bulletin. Would you write down ways that you can tangibly respond this week? I'll show gratitude by, and then write down one thing that you'll do. Because I'm thankful for, and list them out. There might not be a better habit that you can create for yourself than listing out the things that you are thankful for. Take a moment, and we'll keep going from there. So um, this, if you're here for the first time, this, this is not for you. This is for the people who call Mariner's Church their home and who want to be a part of the future of our church and believe that God is doing something unique here and that it's not just for us, but there's more people 
in our community that need to encounter the love, joy, peace of the God of the universe, who need to discover that they have a purpose for their life too, and community where they can be known and loved and valued and cared for. And so we are in the process of moving toward the Regency Movie Theater as our new home that will take it over 24-7, 15-year uh, lease plus two five-year options on top of that. And, uh, and we're excited about it. We're in, two years ago, it was like, God, we need somewhere else. We were already at three services, and now we're at four services, and you can see we're out of space. And, uh, and a year ago, it was, we're not sure exactly where. God, would you help us find a place? And now we know the place. We have reached an agreement, and we're in the process of obtaining a um, conditional use permit from the city of Huntington Beach. That's where we are. It's a city process. You can still keep praying that God would speed that along. But we know that we're heading toward this space. And people have been already beginning to give generously through this process. And everyone else who hasn't yet, this is an opportunity for you to say, I am stepping in. I want to be a part of this. This has not been just about a transaction of swiping credit cards. This is about a spiritual journey of saying, I want to hear from God. God, you move me and compel me and whisper to me what it is that you would want me to do. And it's not a one-time thing. It's, a, it's over the course of 2016. We're just going to keep giving toward this thing as we move into it. To make it easy, we put these, we gave you this commitment card, this envelope. If you don't have this yet or you don't have it today, there's more out on the patio. I know some of you brought them today and you're prepared and we want to take a moment in just like 30 seconds and pray over those commitments. I also want you to know that you can get there easily by texting step in to this number. It'll send you a link, pull it up, you go through the deal. Really, really simple, user-friendly. Or you can go online when you get home. Uh, this is just about you, your spiritual journey, you hearing from God, and you stepping in and saying, I want to play a part. That you look back three years, the church that kind of got this thing rolling to where we are now from 150 to 950 adults on a Sunday. And you look three years down the road where we'll be at the second busiest intersection in Orange County as this beacon of light for the city and the neighboring areas. It's going to be unbelievable. And you, like me, want to be able to look back and say, I had something to do with that, that God used me. What better time than the week of Thanksgiving for us to pause and say, God, I'm grateful for your blessings. I'm grateful for how you've blessed me through this community. And I'm going to step in, and I'm going to be a part of it. So would you join us in that today? Would you stand with me? If you have your commitment cards, just hold them in your hands. But everyone else, if you would just put out your hands, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over us and a prayer of thanksgiving to God. God, we thank you for your generosity toward us. We thank you for your many blessings in our life. Thank you for the blessing of this church that we get to do this together, that you meet us when we gather, and that you use us when we serve. And we thank you that you have led us to our next meeting space where we can have an even greater impact on this community. I pray that you would continue to expand the influence of this church. I pray your continued blessing on this process as we go to a new home. And as we step in in faith, would you bless each individual here in the words of Philippians 4, which say, may you not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And may the peace of God 
which transcends all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And happy Thanksgiving.